Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. Hopefully you've recovered from your day gluttony and you're enjoying your Thanksgiving leftovers. Michigan State is fortunately... Advances after the second round, beating Oregon 74-70 in the second round of the PK-85, and they will face Portland uh, in a game that, again, is a struggle because of not having Malik Hall and not having Jane Aikens. And so Michigan State sort of just uh, with bailing wire and <laughs> chewing gum is trying to keep this thing going and rolling. The only good thing you'd say is in our, our situation is that we're much better off than Oregon, who is missing, I feel like, half their team, most of their guards, uh, they also lost another player during the game through concussion protocols. And so it was a game that I think Michigan State needed. And you can definitely see how our team that I think relies on connectedness more than maybe some other teams had to find a little bit to last night. And they were able to. And so I think in that sense, it was pretty good. Almost gave away the game at the end, but managed to just hit enough free throws down the stretch to pull it off. And, you know, I guess what are your overall impressions from the game? Well, I think I think that's a good point to start with is and, and I've I feel this way often about Tom Izzo teams um, you know he talks so much about the connectedness and you know playing as a team and, and all of those kinds of things and I think a lot of people sometimes you know believe he's he's engaging in coach speak or <laughs> cliches and you know and there are programs where at least for a while and sometimes even longer than a while a guy goes down and somebody else steps in and it's, you know, business as usual. It does work that way. And it's worked that way at Michigan State at times, too. But um, more often than not, I and this I will freely admit, this is something I accuse others of all the time. And I may be engaging in a little bit of it myself here. Um, uh, it could be some myopia <laughs> at work, but. It does feel to me like Michigan State often feels absences more than other programs. Although I can think of situations like Nick Ward and Josh Lineford getting hurt in 19, and it actually seemed to make the team better, not worse. Mm -hmm. But that was over time. I think we're still seeing this group work through what it means to play without Malik Hall and Jade Nakins, and hopefully – they won't need to know that feeling much longer with regard to Jaden, at least, and and hopefully in short order Malik as well. But um, I would say it took them, what, maybe 15 minutes of game time last night? Yep. <laughs> to, and I don't think they ever figured it out against Alabama. Right. But it took them about 15 minutes to really figure out how to play without those guys. And then when they did... Once they figured that out, I think it looked a lot better. Certainly not perfect, but um, I give a lot of credit for that to two guys, one in particular who didn't do a lot on the stat sheet. Um, but if you notice, when Michigan State made that, I think it was a 15-0 run. 14, yeah, because they took away a 3-2. to two, but yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right, because they took the point away from, from Pierre Brooks. The lineup, if I recall correctly, was Walker – Brooks, Hauser, and then Trey Holloman and Jackson Kohler. Yep. And I want to give credit to those two guys. I thought, I thought Jackson again, really showed up and showed off some of that offensive ability that, you know, we've been talking about here since he committed, you, you see what he's capable of doing in the post. But the thing I really want to give him credit for is that I, I think he's, making strides defensively and i've seen Izzo talk about it 
Izzo has mentioned that he's working his ass off in the film room. And that's exactly what he has to do because a kid like Jackson Kohler is never going to suddenly develop quick feet, great lateral movement physically. It's just not going to happen. You know, he can make improvements certainly as he gets in better condition as he works at it, but that's not where he's going to get where he needs to be changing physical attributes that probably won't change very much. It's about the mental side of the game, being able to anticipate what opponents are going to do and beating them to the punch that way. That is exactly the model that guys like Denzel Valentine, Bryn Forbes, Derek Nix, to use a guy who played his position. That's the model those guys have used. And it's there for him. And I think he's already showing really, really, really good indications that he wants to be good, which is the the biggest part of it. And he's putting in the time to get better. And I think he is getting better. And he's still got a long way to go, but I'm pretty happy with what we've seen from Jackson Kohler over these two games so far. Uh, But then the other guy, the guy that I really, really thought made the difference during that run last night was Trey Holloman, and he didn't score a point. (laughs) Yeah, But his perimeter defense, you watch the way – the only thing I'm critical of is that they kind of called the dogs off after that stretch. In the second half, when he got in and the other MSU guards didn't continue to really get into – um, Oregon's backcourt the way I think they could have, because during that stretch, Trey Holloman was really up in the guy he was guarding's face and just completely took Oregon out of any rhythm they had. I thought I, I was just really, really impressed by him. Um, he had that flyby block, yep, uh, which kind of stood out, but it, that that was only the loudest play. It wasn't the stuff that really got me excited. It was his possession to possession defense and the energy he brought. I did, yeah, I was just really impressed, and I think that was the stretch <clears throat> where you saw Michigan State not only get back into the game but get a get a lead that you know they didn't necessarily keep the the game went back and forth a bit in the second half, but. Um, you could tell that Michigan state had finally figured some things out. And and then to, before we move into the rest of it, um, the injuries, that's the other thing I want to keep in mind. I I said last night after, after it was over that that game was a classic case of survival Yeah, because that's really all it was. It was surviving it. We know Michigan state's injury problems. Oregon's are dwarfing it right now. And as you mentioned on top of everything else, they lose and folly Dante, their, their other seven footer besides where um, fairly early in the game to concussion protocol. And that was serious because if you, if you recall, he couldn't even make it over to the bench. So this wasn't one of those things where like, Oh, they're babying him. He's fine. I mean, he really, he got his bell rung clearly. So they did the right thing, but it just, it just makes it impossible And then they lost another big kid for part of the game. They had another guy go to the locker room. They had down the stretch where came up with um, cramps and had to miss a possession. I mean, big possessions when the game was there to be won or lost. It's just terrible for them. And, and this is the thing about this win that hopefully is going to be a good development for Michigan state at the end of the year, the committee is not going to likely to go back and say, well, Michigan state won, but Oregon was down X number of guys, blah, blah, blah. If Oregon gets healthy and has a strong season in the pac 12, which I think they're, they're equipped to do. I, I don't think they'll be as good as Arizona, but I think they could compete with, you know, UCLA and anybody else in that league. I would expect Oregon to have a good year based on what I saw from the guys who actually did play this game is still going to potentially be a very meaningful win for MSU in terms of seeding purposes. I mean, it already is and that it's a power five opponent, but if Oregon is an NCAA tournament team, that's, that's going to be a nice feather in their cap. So keep that in mind. You want to, if you're an MSU fan right now, you want to root <laughs> for Teams like and and the schedule certainly looks different with the way things have gone, but you want it thus far. But you want to root for Oregon, Villanova, Gonzaga, Kentucky. You want to root for these teams. Um, 
you know, Villanova kind of in a similar spot to Michigan State, except they haven't been able to get any wins or not many during this stretch where they're playing without their top two guys. Um, and it's it's certainly hurt them. You know, they're they're staring 0-3 in this field in the face um, if they don't win tomorrow against Oregon. So um, you want to hope that both Oregon and Villanova start to get healthy and start to rack up wins because that'll make Michigan State's position better. Um, but yeah, survival. That's what I would. That's what I would say, in an overarching sense. And the key, of course, was that this win was to avoid playing Villanova again, which I don't think anyone really wants to play. Uh, it and certainly wounded or not, yeah. you don't want to play a team, especially so so soon after you had just played them at home and. And yeah, definitely the the fact that Michigan State pulled this one off is, I think, key to coming uh, having good vibes coming out of this because you know we're getting we're seeing lots of extra playing time from Pierre Brooks, obviously, uh, and then as you mentioned, Trey Holloman in the freshman. So I guess you know let's talk about the center position because I think you know we haven't spent much time at it uh, talking about the last couple games. Sissoko got into early foul trouble, which is what we worried about coming into the season. You know, could he stay out of foul trouble? He got into early foul trouble. And I think we both feel that Cooper and, and Kohler were able to sort of hold down the fort and, and, and survive and maybe, maybe sure. do well, you know, at times. So, and, and it was, and it was important, you know, Jackson, I think ended up with six points and three rebounds. I think he had all of that in the first half Yeah. Um, that when Madi couldn't play, uh, that was, that was critical, you know, and um and Carson Cooper got a bucket and, you know, didn't look out of place, didn't really get taken, taken to school. Um, so uh, holding it down is a good way of putting it. They really did were critical in that first half, keep allowing Michigan State to stay in contact, keep afloat, and then eventually make a push to take the lead into the break. Um, very, very important. And then I thought in the second half, you know, Madi the last couple games, I'd say against Villanova and, and in the game against Alabama really didn't make much of an impact. And in the second half of this game, he did. You saw the things that you like about Mati Sissoko. They got him loose on a, on a rim dive for a dunk again. Um, I thought he played good defense. I thought he rebounded well. He didn't have any rebounds at halftime and, Looking at the stats really quickly, five. he ended up with five. So that's a strong second half from Madi on the boards. Um, and But most important of all, he hit, you know, you mentioned it at the outset, what ultimately won the game for Michigan State is down the stretch where they were once again making mistakes to let an opponent back in. Um, what they did do positively is they hit their free throws and they had a stretch late of six straight from AJ Hogard, Mati Sissoko, and then Tyson Walker uh, to nail it down. And the first two of those guys, you know, they've shot better, certainly much better than they did last season, but I'm not sure they're the first two names you want <laughs> at the line in those situations, particularly Mati. And yet, you know, he stepped up and he nailed them. And, and that's becoming, you know, you, you at least I, I'll speak for myself. I'm not going to say again that he's the first guy I want to nominate to go to the line, but it's he's done it now long enough that I feel a reasonable comfort level. I feel a big man comfort level with him at the line. Let's put it in that context, you know? Yeah. Um, I certainly feel at least like, you know, a Nick Ward comfort level <laughs> with him at the line, which again, doesn't mean that it's automatic, but it does mean, you're not necessarily looking at two bricks either. Um, but overall, yeah, I think body cl- clearly responded with the best half of basketball he's played in, you know, at least a couple of weeks in the second half. So that's, that's good. And the first half, the other two guys, you know, did their parts and, and really helped contribute to this win. And so then two other people will talk about, I think, well, maybe three. So I think, you know, Joey Hauser had a solid game. I don't think there's much to say, except that he just played the way we hope he plays. He played 38 oh, minutes. I, right? I'm, I'm gonna, he had a double-double. I'm, object, 18... I'm objecting to that. Okay. <laughs> he was way better than solid. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he was huge. Fair enough. He was huge. Yeah. 
and I think he played well defensively too. Right, yeah, 18 and 10, four offensive rebounds, six uh, defense rebounds, seven of eight from the field, four of eight from three, and only one turnover. Three assists too. I thought he did a nice job of playmaking. Um, Joey Hauser, the only thing negative you could say about Joey Hauser's season thus far is he's had a couple of moments, the Gonzaga game and then the Alabama game, where he just, for whatever reason, hasn't been able to get in the flow and and produce. Other than that, in the other four games, he's been outstanding, and he was outstanding in this one for sure. Um, look, Michigan State needs this Joey Hauser. When they have this Joey Hauser, they are an extremely difficult team to beat. Um, and right now they need this Joey Hauser because, and when we get to talk about Pierre Brooks, I'll, I'll turn back to this point, but you know, when you're down two of your top six players, you're probably going to be in a position where you've got to kind of look around and say, okay, where are points coming from? And, and Michigan state is definitely in that position. So in a normal game, you could say the Gonzaga game is a good example. Joey Hauser gives you next to nothing, and Michigan State was right there. Why? Because they had contributions from a lot of other people. Well, now you're down Malik Call, you're down Jaden Nakins. You don't have as many people. I mean, I, I give great credit, as we've been talking about, to Trey Holloman, let's say. Jason Whitens played briefly in the first half, got in there and got three rebounds, yeah. threw his body around, made his presence felt, right? That's great. But those guys aren't likely going to give you a 15-point offensive explosion. Right, right. So you've got to lean on guys like Hauser. They, right now, they can't afford to have a no-show Joey Hauser until they're back at full strength. They really need this Joey Hauser or something close to it, um, especially in terms of the three-point shooting. They just, they really need that production. And again, you lose Hall and Aikens, you're losing two guys that you're looking to, not just to score, but to be shooters for you. So again, you say, where's the shooting coming from? Well, it's got to come from Joey in part. So I thought he played really well, big, big game. And the rebounding was immense, you know, Oregon, even with the injuries, Oregon is still pretty big. Yeah. They had to be because their guards are all hurt other than Richardson. <laughs> um, but, uh, Michigan State went toe-to-toe with them. I mean, they were essentially dead even yep. with Oregon on the glass. So that was big, and Joey was a huge part of that. No, no question. I mean, well, let's talk about Tyson Walker, who's, who continues to have – I think this is the Tyson Walker we're going to get this season. I think there's no question that he's aggressive. He's um, you know playing 36 minutes. Yeah. He's probably – we hopefully he's not going to be playing 36 later this year as people come back. But 6 of 14 from the field, 2 or 5 from 3, 4 of 4 from the line, a couple of rebounds – Eight assists, one turnover, you know, finish and a steal and finish with 18 points. I mean, he he kept us floating just like an Alabama game, too. Yep. And and made big plays down the stretch. He hit those last two free throws, but you know, there was also, I think he had MSU's last basket from the floor as well on a a mid-range, like a 10, 12 foot jumper from the top of the key, uh, free throw line top of the key. Um, and uh that was, he was immense, you know, eight assists to one turnover. And, and I want to say something quickly about that. This get, you know, sometimes Tyson Walker is not overall quite the playmaker that AJ Hogard can be. Um, Tyson is a good, solid point guard, generally makes good decisions with the ball. His assist numbers are usually healthy, but I would say, I will see if you agree with this. Oftentimes, Tyson's assists tend to be more of the, he was the guy who made the pass that led to the basket rather than he made that basket for somebody else variety. Not all the time. You know, he had a couple of those lobs to Sissoko in, uh, in the Kentucky game. You know, I'm not saying he's incapable of doing it, but I think he does less of that on balance than Hogard does. Not the case in this game. I thought he was playmaking. 
he was during that run that Michigan State got back in the game and took the lead in the first half. Tyson Walker had four assists during that run. So half of his assists came during that 14-0 run. And he was making plays for people. He was getting himself into traffic, forcing the defense to collapse, kicking the ball out for open looks. Um, he was outstanding. It was just, it, he's the he's one of the few guys that I think could feel good about his performance against Alabama. Yep. And then he backed it up with this. If he has a decent game against Portland, I'm not I'm not positive if they name an all tournament team in this thing. These tournaments usually do, and it's not that big a thing. But um, assuming there is one, he's on track to be there. You think so? Yeah, for sure. Because he's played really, really well. Pierre Brooks. Uh, he played 34 minutes. I think that's even more than he played last game. Six of 16 from the field, three of 11 from three. And he had two threes, I think, were turned into two. So he looked like he'd hit yep. five. Uh, three rebounds, uh, three assists, a turnover, a steal, 15 points, which is a career high for him. I mean, obviously, for um, I thought he looked much better defensively. He didn't look as lost out there. And I, it sort of a tale of two games here from Pierre. Yes. Yeah, um, I'm not going to say it was major steps, but definitely a step forward. And the, look, the point production matters right now because, again, I go back to what I said about Hauser. They need points from somewhere, and it's got to be a number of guys. But the problem is you really can't afford any of those guys or many of them to not be figuring it out and finding ways to get you on the scoreboard. So they needed Pierre to step up offensively, and he did. I think it's a shame he had those, you know, if those two shots had counted as threes, he would have been five for 11 or I'm sorry, five for 13 from three, which would have looked a little better than three for 11. But regardless, he gave MSU production from the arc when they, where they needed it defensively, you know, he took a charge, which might be the first time I've seen him do that. And, and look, let's be fair, Oregon, didn't have the personnel to test him, certainly the way that Alabama did with Brandon Miller. But um, I'm not going to say it was all that. I think Pierre did play better. The one uh, unfortunate moment was late where he got switched on to Richardson and Richardson ended up you know, using his dribble to create space against him to get a three. Um, and that was at a critical point of the game, but I, I don't put that on Pierre. And the reason I say that is unless that was just a, a botched, um, segment from Michigan state's players. And I don't think it was, you know, MSU's philosophy is generally to switch. They switch everything. And, and when they've got a great center, like a Xavier Tillman, they'll even switch all five. Um, that would have been a moment where if it was me, I wouldn't have had switching. Richardson was the one guy yeah. who could kill you. You knew that. And, and by no matter what you do, you don't want to give him a look at a three. And so to me, you put Tyson Walker on him, or maybe if you have Trey Holloman in there, one of those two guys, and you say, you don't switch, you've got him period. And Oregon got a switch. And it's just not Pierre Brooks's wheelhouse right now to be dealing with a guy like that. So I don't even, I, I just know he's not going to be capable of getting a stop most likely. So I don't put that one so much on him, but other than that, I thought he held up pretty well defensively. I thought his effort level was better. And so a step forward again, nowhere near the finish line where he needs to be, but progress definitely. And finally, let's talk about A.J. Hogard, who played only 28 minutes. Uh, it's 2 of 7 from the field, uh, 0 for 2 for 3. He hit some really big free throws on the end, so that was very good positive. I mean, shooting is pretty good. Three rebounds defensively, uh, three assists, three turnovers, nine points. I, boy, he just really, he just didn't look like he, he wasn't interested in being there uh, during the game. So, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't understand it. I don't understand it because you watch him when he's on the bench and he's engaged. So it's not like, um, Oh, they've, there's something really going on. It's not that, but you're right on the floor. These two games he has, and, and really I would be honest about it. He's yet to have a game this season. The closest he came was Villanova where I thought he played very well, but then in the end game segment was awful. Well, 
we saw that again. That that turnover that allowed them to get it to did they get it did that bucket get get it to one? Well, because yeah, the, it was an and one, right? I think it got down to two, but yeah, where he just kind of threw it away. Yeah, <laughs> just just terrible. I mean, you have three timeouts. You're the point guard. You don't get to say, "Oh, I panicked." That's not. You can't do that. It's on you. You are a leader of this team, literally, because they put the ball in your hands so much. Um, you know, and I don't even feel like he's been playing particularly well defensively either. So, you know, that that's the thing. And, and I was thinking this during the end segment of the game where Richardson was really keeping Oregon alive. Ideally, you know, because Tyson Walker, we know, is a great defender, but give Richardson credit. I think Richardson found ways during segments in that stretch to use his size advantage over Tyson. Right. You know, he'd get Tyson inside. There were a couple of times where he did that, right? And I'm not going to blame Tyson. Tyson played it reasonably well defensively. He just didn't have the size to stop him. Well, ideally, you would have switched, and they don't have Jaden Akins as an option right now who's another guy who could have solved that potentially, but they do have AJ Hogard and you would, you would love to say, Hey, all right, let's switch. Let's have AJ guard him. We've seen AJ Hogard absolutely frustrate. Very, very good players, better players than Will Richardson. I might add, um, but I, they didn't do it. And I don't fault Izzo for not doing it because I don't feel AJ Hogard is in a spot mentally where he's capable that's what you'd like to do. You've got a bigger guard. They've got a bigger guard who's using his size to go off. Put your bigger guard on him, right? Seems pretty simple. They don't have that option right now because AJ's not locked in. He's got to find himself mentally here. Yep. Because they they need him. And I'm not even just talking about surviving this little injury thing. I'm just talking about generally. If they want to get where they want to go, AJ Hogarth's got to be a lot closer to the best version of himself. I give him credit for hitting the free throws. That's a big deal. He was five for six from the line in this game. So his improved free throw shooting continues, but man, the, the turnovers, the, the body language at times on the court, it's got to change. And I'll say this, the more performances that Trey Holloman gives, like the one he gave last night, the shorter AJ's leash is going to get. I've seen it before. There's <laughs> if, if he thinks he's got endless opportunity to go out there and play the way he's been playing, he better think again, because when Jaden Akins and Malik call are healthy, uh, he very definitely will have the option of turning to Trey Holloman and saying, all right, we're not getting what I need from this guy. You play. And it's a shame because AJ has, a, a set of tools that this team can really, really use. They need him to be good. He has not been good this season, in my opinion. Not really. Yeah, I think you know. At most, we we've mentioned before he's been good for a half or something like that, or maybe a little bit more than a half. Uh, it's and it's between the ears. He hasn't strung forty minutes together. Not even close. Nope, nope, that's true. All right. Well, let's just kind of talk about. We didn't do official sort of uh, keys of the game because we were. You know, crunched up here as we're playing back-to-back games. But I think looking overall, that Michigan State shot 44% from the field. Oregon was about 42 and change. Uh, from a rebounding standpoint, we, as you mentioned, we're in toe-to-toe with a team that rebound. You know, it's got tons of size. Some, but not by choice. But so it was 35 apiece. Uh, Michigan State's offensive rebounding percentage was 32%. Uh, for Oregon, it's 33. So that was pretty much a tie. And I think, yeah, and that's a win in this. Yeah, game for sure. With Oregon size. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, a uh, key to is you look at the assist percentage in a difference uh, of the, this game versus the Alabama game, the assist percentage was 74% for Michigan state. So they had 20 assists on 27 uh, field goals. Seven. Yep. So, uh, you know, much better. I think last game we had like six or something like that. And then I think what is clearly a, a trend that we have to recognize is, you know, Michigan state had eight turnovers, it it really shows you how Michigan State with the, when it comes to turnovers, and we've talked about this before. That a lot of it is because of the, uh, you know, you're playing lots of players, and we're just playing really tight mm-hmm. rotation right now, and you're just not getting a lot of the turnovers. So we had eight turnovers, and I looked back because we were talking about how many turnovers, even in the Kentucky game, the most we've had this season is sixteen, and so okay, which is actually pretty good for this team. Usually early in the season we hit 
close to 20 at least once or twice in a game. And, you know, there's still games that we're, we have to play. But we've been pretty good with ball security, and even with a, a bigger lineup. And now you see as the rotation gets even smaller, it's less. And so, you know, Oregon only had 10 turnovers as well. So I think, you know, a lot of things that people always worry about and harp about are, are not as much problems with this team. And I think the thing that we were – one of the things we were probably the most concerned about and didn't look great in the Northern Arizona game was the rebounding. And I think I th- I'm confident saying that this is a much, much better rebounding team. That's only going to get better once Hall and Aikens come back. Right. You, you've, you've lost two of your, your, your two best perimeter rebounders. No question about that. Um, you're right. And all of those things are true. I was really good to see after a one game vacation, Michigan State basketball offensively returning in this one. 20 assists on 27 made field goals. That's MSU basketball. And and I was mentioning earlier about Tyson Walker, but he wasn't the only one. Um, Michigan State's ball movement, once they got comfortable and got into this game, was really good. And I think it was key to the – clearly it was key to the offensive improvement because early on, you know, they were getting – quote unquote, good or decent looks, you know, they had open shots. They they looked open. They were taking, but most of them were not functions of good ball movement. They were individual moves that generated a little bit of room. And a lot of those shots didn't fall. Now, some of that is bad luck, but it's funny how the ball starts going in more regularly when the ball is moving around and zipping around, you know? And, and that's Michigan State basketball. It really is. And they played a much, much closer facsimile of it last night. And it was enough to help get them to win. The turnover numbers, I agree. And and look, when when the guy who's supposedly your point guard has almost half of them, <laughs> it tells you a couple things. One, it tells you that as a team, you're doing a much better job, probably at least in part for the reason you suggest, um, that they're playing fewer guys. Um, but it also says AJ Hogarth's got to get his act together, you know, <laughs> um, three, three turnovers from him. Not, not ideal. Uh, the rebounding we mentioned, they, they hunt in there, which is as much as I can ask. And you're right. That should get even better when Hall and Akins are back. And I think that, uh, I think this, this isn't going to be a vintage Michigan state rebounding team. We know that, that that's just not going to happen, but, can it be a better version than we've seen the last couple of years? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it needs to be. You know, it really does. Going into the Big Ten, look, I mean, we, we won't belabor it here, but Purdue kind of handled Gonzaga last night. You know, yep. we've seen other Big Ten teams play well. We talked about it the other night, and we're probably going to continue to talk about it. Right now, the good news is, Michigan state is going to have a ton of opportunities for good wins and, and not a lot of opportunities for bad losses coming up because the big 10 is checking in better than people expected. The bad news is they got to play all those teams. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, but rebounding has got to, it's got to stay a focus, you know, in the league, you're going to have to do the job on the defensive glass. And, and they did a reasonable job of it last night and, and actually a reasonable job given the circumstances, even in the loss against Alabama, I thought. So there hasn't yet been a game where you've looked at, at least for me, where I've looked at it and thought, boy, that's where it was won and lost. You might, you might be able to say the second half against Gonzaga, it, it contributed significantly to the loss that Timmy was able to really kind of take over on the offensive glass because they, when Madi was out, they just didn't have an answer. Um, but that's that part's changing too because now when Madi's off the floor, we're seeing Jackson Kohler. We talked about it in the last game, and it was the case in this one as well. Jackson Kohler, not the biggest guy, certainly not the most athletic guy, but he's got a knack for it. Yep. You know, um, maybe similarly to the way Joey Hauser has a knack for it. You know, but they're they're getting it done. Um, I would also say, obviously, we we touched on this, but um, I'm getting to the point that I'm believing, and I haven't looked at what the. Let me take a quick look. I can find out what the season number is, but I'm getting to the point 
that I'm just about ready to declare this to be a, a good free throw shooting team. Um, yeah, I think, and, I, think uh, I think you're right too. And I think so on the season, yeah, on the season, they're 75.5%. That's good enough for 68th, uh, in the nation. Pretty good. And if that's going to, you know, last night, 11 for 12, six of those came in the last, what minute, yeah, minute change. Right. So that's a big deal too. I mean, you're seeing some things that assuming they hold up are really, really good signs for this basketball team. They can hit free throws and, and especially they can hit free throws late. You know, they've been for the most part, you know, uh, the, the two games that weren't were the first one against Northern Arizona and then Alabama. Other than that, the other four games have been, you know, one possession late, right? Yeah. In all of them. And they've won three of those. So they are figuring out and uh, now you could say, well, the Oregon game and the, uh, and, uh, the Villanova game, Michigan state created that situation itself. Fair point. But they also figured out how to get out of there with wins still. Yeah. And that does matter. So they're, they're figuring out there when they get in the league, in league play. And we know this historically, and not that it happens every night, but big 10 games for a variety of reasons are generally going to be played for the most part in fairly tight windows. You don't have a lot of 20 point, you know, uh, coasts in either direction. They're usually games that are there for the taking in the last four minutes. And so if you've already been in a lot of these kind of games, and that's, that's the thing, not everybody will have been, you know, uh, teams that aren't playing the schedule that Michigan state is there, you know, I, I look at Indiana as an example, Indiana's had one tight game so far against Xavier. Other than that, they've been playing the sisters of the poor and they've been blowing them out. They had another one. I think it was yesterday or the day before yeah. they waxed somebody by 40, but uh, they're not playing anybody. So, IU and look, they may end up being just fine. I'm not saying it's definitive, but I would rather heading into the league. I would rather have the experience that Michigan state is having than the one Indiana is having where they're not getting challenged. Michigan state now as a team, as a group has to believe that when the chips are down and it's tight, they should have, they got no reason not to have immense confidence that they will figure it out because they've been there repeatedly. Yeah, and and you can definitely see had the how the narrative changes had they had they lost dropped those two games. Oh right? yeah, you're two and four versus four and two. Yes. It totally changes how they feel about themselves and how you know, people feel about this team for sure. Yeah, the game, the, the, this game mattered. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a season maker either. It's not, and 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 that would be inconsistent with the message we've been we've been promulgating all along. That hey, you play these games, it's great to get a level test and all those things. And the win or the loss isn't super critical either way. I still believe that, but you'd much rather have the win. There's no, there's no question about that. And, and again, one that I think in March could actually have some real value, regardless of the circumstances that you got it in, you know, you just, you have to hope that Oregon finds themselves. And I think they could, um, but, uh, but yeah, all those things mattered. You know, you hit free throws, you don't give the other team massive amounts of second chances. You take care of the ball. Um, you move the ball offensively, you know, defensively, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Oregon, Oregon shot 43% from the floor. That's, that's not ideal. And, and this is a team that's really, it should be noted has really been struggling to hit shots in part because they haven't had their guards, you know, um, that number's okay. It's not great. I didn't think Michigan State was great defensively in this game. I thought they were they were okay. Um, Will Richardson, obviously, 28 points, gave him up. Boy, he had a game, 28, 5, and 8 assists. He just really took them to, took them to the cleaners. Uh, but other than that, you know, decent job. Quincy Guerrero, of course, who's been struggling all year long hitting shots, was making shots, but MSU did a nice job getting him fouled out of the game. Um, and, and honestly, I say that 
not even the least bit facetiously, the last two fouls Michigan State earned. Yeah. Oh, for sure. On him. They were definitely so, fouls. Yeah. So um and 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 kind of caused them. So I think um I think that was critical. But yeah, if you're looking for a negative, I guess that, that would be one that I, I didn't think they did a great job defensively. Again, especially with Richardson. You know, if you had a full complement of your players, boy, you would, you know, Jaden, you would have loved to have had Jaden Akins in that game uh, to put on that guy. But um, you know, you also have AJ Hogard who just isn't up to it right now. That's got to change. Well, well, definitely, without a doubt, if these teams meet in March, they will look. It'll be a totally different game. <laughs> if assuming that they get a lot of their players back, many of them have foot injuries. Rod, did you know that? Actually, it turns out. <laughs> Yeah. Did you see that list for, for all the people who want to talk about this is a systemic problem at Michigan state. Well, I looked at Oregon's list and there were three guys with foot injuries. I know they had a bunch of guys in boots too. So I thought this was a Michigan state thing now, now maybe I will go this far. If you want to go down the, you know, the incredible unending unyielding human need to find a reason yes for things that sometimes may not have one um one road you could go down is the quality of nike's product <laughs> i don't think nike would enjoy that the guy who this tournament is being held to honor <laughs> would not like that but um I have, and and again, I don't necessarily buy into this, but people who know a lot more than I do about shoe construction, shoe quality, I have heard comments over the years that, and mostly I've heard it in a running context, that Nike's product is not really considered to be the best in terms of quality. Um, and so, you know, you wonder but I don't think there's a hell of a lot you're going to do because that shoe contract's worth a lot of money. So Michigan state's going to be wearing Nike. Yeah. So will Oregon, Oregon will for a long time to come for sure. Um, but I don't know it, it. That's, that's the one path. I don't, I don't believe there's anything Michigan state is doing in practice, blah, blah, blah. None of that. I don't buy it for a second. You do wonder about the equipment. And, and maybe that's something, but again, I, I, I probably tend to default more to the, the shit happens side of things. You know, people think there's, this is just this unending. I've heard people make comments every time a Michigan state player has a foot injury, they're like, Oh, every year. Well, no, it's not every year. They've had some significant ones. You know, Mateen Cleaves had a significant one in 99-2000 that he came back from. Josh Langford, obviously, is the outlier. That was really bad. Um, other than that, not not a ton that I remember that were really significant. The Langford one, you know, of course, it lingered, and it was this long, drawn-out drama uh, and painful for everybody. Yeah, and and I would just say this as someone in yes, medicine. You know, where they there couldn't are, get an There answer. are so many things that happen to people. We always, as human beings... We're always looking for causality, some reason for something happening. And most of the time, there isn't a good reason. I mean, yeah, you can say, well, I, yep. you know, I jumped and fell and, you know, twisted my ankle or something. But for the most part, things just happen and it, it's not satisfying. You want you, you want to have answers. You, you want to know why you got the cancer or whatever it is. And, and, you know, there certainly is, but there's just no way of knowing what that, what that answer, you know, what it is. It's except prop mostly it's just, you just contribute to just bad luck. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't know much more than that. It's, it's... And there's also, yeah. And there's also the, the, you know, the other thing that I think, again, this is a lesson that I would hope we would start to learn over the last three years. Um, different people react <laughs> to different stimuli. Yeah. Wait for it differently. <laughs> right. And there's no, and, and there's not always, you know, it's not as simple as saying, oh, well, this person was, you know, clearly more susceptible to a bad experience because, you know, to their, their bone and their foot, their metatarsal yeah. fracturing because of A, B, or C. If we don't know, it just happens. Different people, different people can react differently to different stimuli. It's just, it's life. And I know people don't like to accept that, 
but you, you put it very well, the unending human search for causality. That's what it is. We need, we need to have something to blame and, and then say, okay, well, we can fix this. It's that need for control. <laughs> you got to let go of that, people. You got to let go of that. Sometimes, yeah, you should, you should certainly take a look at when things happen to see if something like that applies and there's something that can be changed, something that can be fixed. But oftentimes in life, there just isn't. That Thus ends our philosophy segment for today's uh today's podcast but really i i believe that so wholeheartedly and in all kinds of aspects of life and this is a very small stakes one for us not small stakes for the athletes but small stakes for us but it's things happen it doesn't mean there's there's something that can be fixed or controlled it just happens you know that better than I do because you work in that you work in a field where you see it every day. For sure, yeah, and I see all the crazy things that happen. But uh, well, let's let's talk about things that we have a little more control over, and that's the next matchup is against Portland and University of Portland. We'll get this uh, fifth place game. I think this is uh, this is a challenging. This is a good good team that they've they ran North Carolina right to the end. They had North Carolina on the ropes. They uh, they beat Villanova. They're going to be playing on their home campus in their home gym. So they have a lot of innate advantages here. I think, you know, however this game turns out. I want to talk about that for a second before we move on. I did not, uh, full full um, disclosure, I did not actually see either of Portland's games in this field. Did you? I did not. I just saw the score and I saw that they okay. were up and they were, so, you know, with, and they, I think, so Carolina I finished right. a 9-0 run to finish them off. I think that. So I don't know what the turnout has been. For Portland, but I wanted to speak about last night's game just for a second before we we leave it. Um, I was, and, and and I'm saying this as somebody who lived on the West Coast and has ever since then, for the last 30 years, told anybody whenever this would come up, if you are a Big Ten fan, you're a Big Ten alum, you have a perception of what college sports means that does not translate in the slightest to the Pac-12. Yeah. But even having said that, I was shocked, shocked by the lack of a turnout in that game last night for Oregon. I understand Portland is not Eugene, but I've made that drive multiple <laughs> times in my life. It's not that far. And I will also say, I'm going to assume there are a ton of Oregon alums in Portland. Put it in a Michigan State context. If this field were being played in Detroit and Michigan State, Let's not even talk about a smaller gym like they were in last night, which was the old Portland Trailblazers gym, I believe, that they were playing in last night, Veterans Coliseum. Say it was Little Caesars, you know, whatever the capacity is in there, 18,000, 19,000. What are the odds that that gym would have been full or almost entirely full and 99% people in Michigan State green and white? 90%, 100% yeah, for an event like this, that was pathetic. And Oregon's not the worst fan base in the Pac-12 either, by the way. So think about when, when you're preparing for UCLA or USC, at least in basketball, let's say, get ready. Because as a Big Ten fan, you're not used to seeing what you're going to see from those schools from time to time. Not always, but from time to time, you will. I, I just I couldn't believe that. I, I seriously do wonder if Portland, the university, is going to have a better turnout for tomorrow's game than Oregon had last night because they almost can't help but do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the listed attendance was only 3,600 for that game, and I, boy, look at it around. Was, oh, that I don't think it was that many. <laughs> No, and it was and it was a lot of Michigan State people. I mean, it's crazy. You know, I, I I will also just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of justification for it. Not much, but I will say this year's event to me has seemed, um, it, it's felt far more thrown together than the PK eighty did. PK 80 had a lot of buildup like that felt like a big deal, you know, going in. And then granted it was the first time they did it, 
I'm not saying this one was put together in two weeks, but to me, it has not felt like it has the same gravitas, even though the field in both brackets is just as good as it was then. It's filled with a lot of great teams. Um, So it's not from that front. It just has not felt like it has the same level of enthusiasm around it. And maybe that's in part what's to blame. I don't know. But I know if that were happening in Detroit, you wouldn't have seen a crowd like that. (laughs) No question. Well, let's talk about Portland then. Uh, What do you see as keys to this game and sort of what things that we need to be watched for? Well, let's let's take a second to frame what they've done, because most people are probably only familiar with what they've done in this tournament, which was they played North Carolina very competitively and lost. And then they beat Villanova, you know, fairly easily. They won by 12, Um, but they're five and three. And the wins other than Villanova are not knockout wins. They beat uh, Lewis and Clark, which both of them. I can't, I can't believe both of them. I can't believe they're counting that. Um, I'm pretty sure Lewis and Clark is not a D one. Um, they beat Florida a and M handily. They barely got by Portland state in what I'm sure is a giant grudge match for both schools. Um, and then they beat air force, but they've lost to besides North Carolina. They lost to Kent state by 12 on the road and they lost to Seattle, not the supersonics. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're not back from the dead. The Seattle University at home, they lost by 12. So let's not get carried away with the Portland Pilots being a super team. They've had a nice couple of days for sure. They were picked fifth in the West Coast Conference, which means they should be a solid basketball team. That's obviously a good league now, you know, where your top three pretty much every year tend to be Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU. If you're picked fifth, you're in pretty decent company. So I'm not soft peddling them either. I think they expect to be a solid team and maybe even one that if enough things break the right way for them, um, could maybe push for, you know, especially if they could get in the top four uh, or even top three in that league. You now, the way the WCC is, is viewed, you might have a chance at being tournament worthy. They're currently number one, 10 overall Ken Palm um, offense is 77th defense is 153. So certainly a better offensive team uh, than at the other end of the floor. Uh, Michigan state is a seven point favorite going into this game per Ken Palm. Haven't seen a Vegas line yet, but I would guess it's in that neighborhood. Um, this is an experienced team. They've got uh, a bunch of juniors, redshirt juniors that are starting. So um, they've been through it a little bit. Um, Offensively, very good three-point shooting team thus far. They're at 38.1% as a team. That's good for 45th in the country. Uh, They also shoot twos well, 54.3%. That's good for 68th. They also shoot free throws well, 77%, good for 41st. And they get there a fair amount. They're averaging almost 20 free throw attempts a game. So offensively, there are a lot of things to like. One thing that they're struggling with, though, turnovers. 21.2% of their possessions end in turnovers. That's 269th in the country. And I just want to take a look. Wow. Are you ready for a shocker? (laughs) Michigan State, I wanted to check this because I hadn't looked at it before. Michigan State right now is number 108 in turnover percentage. That would be one of the best finishes in Tom Izzo program history if that held up. (laughs) Uh, But obviously, there's a big difference between the two teams in that area. They also don't offensive rebound, and it's weird because looking at their roster and the guys who play, they've actually got a lot of size. Like for a a team you might not expect would have a ton of size. Um, They got a couple 6'10 guys they play, a bunch of 6'8 guys, 6'6 wings, but they're only number 255 in offensive rebounding. So turnovers for them are a problem. They don't tend to get a lot of second shots, uh, but they're a very good shooting team. So that's, that's the concern you've got facing them. On the defensive side, not a lot of great stuff. They don't force a lot of turnovers. They're a mediocre at best defensive rebounding team, number 180 on the defensive boards. Um, and two-point percentage, they're really getting taken advantage of in the lane. 
their number 261 and two point uh, field goal percentage against uh, the opponent shoot 53% inside the arc, which is a high number. So that's, that's not particularly good. Um, again, despite that size and not blocking a ton of shots, they're only 199th in, in block percentage. So, um, I think stylistically what, what I would say based on this profile is you're going to expect that they're going to shoot a lot of threes. Um, so you're going to have to guard the arc. Um, you're also going to be dealing with a team that can get to the line at the same time. So um, they can do some of that. And then defensively, they're vulnerable inside the arc. So if you're Michigan State, I think you need to be looking to get the ball around the rim, either via penetration, maybe a, maybe look to do a little more posting up than you've done recently. Uh, so this might be a game where Jackson Kohler might be able to get some things done. Maybe Joey Hauser can do some things on the block. Maybe that's a way you get AJ Hogart on track is do some inversion stuff and, and let him get posted inside. But I think that those are going to be, that's going to be a key for attacking this team. And then you'd also hope that there'll be a turnover gap again, which is funny to be saying for Michigan state, but you know, and I will say last night's game with only eight turnovers, they didn't really have a big gap. I think Oregon only had 10. Yeah. So it's not like that was an area where MSU ran away from them. But in this game, you would hope that you could do that. Um, and then Michigan State really needs to control the glass at both ends. And I think there should be an opportunity for that. Uh, Portland doesn't do much on its offensive boards, and they've struggled a bit to keep opponents off the offensive glass. So um, that's what you would like to see. Uh, but overall, look, it's I would much rather be playing this team because you didn't want to play Villanova twice, regardless of whatever Villanova is going through. Um, you just you, you, you didn't want to see that. At least I didn't want to see it. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think that's, the, you know, those are really kind of a, the keys in this game. You got to find a way to limit what they do from three. Um Defend without fouling excessively, control the boards, hopefully have a bit of a turnover gap. And then I think attacking them inside the arc as opposed to um, overly relying and settling for a lot of threes. Uh, I think that's th those are things that are going to be uh, a key to getting the victory. Just some names for people to maybe pay attention to. Um, the, the best player thus far has been a guy named Tyler Robertson, who's kind of a load. Um, and boy, this is a guy you'd love to have Malik call around to guard. He's 6'6", 225 pounds, kind of a swingman type. He's Australian, started his career at Eastern Washington and um, transferred into Portland last year. He was good last year, 15.3 points a game. This year, he's up to uh, 16.5 um, at the six, sorry, 16.6 at this point. And, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy that, uh, as capable of scoring both from the arc and inside the paint. So he's the, the main guy you've got to worry about. Then another guy, their, their power forward, Moses Wood. Um, both these guys are juniors, by the way, Moses Wood is a six, eight, 210 pounder started his career at UNLV. Um, and, uh, he also played last year at Portland. So he's in his second year there. I mentioned they're kind of an experienced team. He averaged 14 points a game last year and he's scoring 15 a game so far this year. So, um, yeah, those are the two main names that you've got to pay attention to. They also not, not unusual for this conference. The WCC has to be the nationwide leader in recruiting foreign born players. I mean, I'm looking up and down this roster. There's a Serbian, uh, Australian, uh, Argentinian, <laughs> uh, another Australian, Norwegian. He's a starter, Christian Soland. Um, Montenegro, another Australian. Oh. Um, so you, you get the idea. There's a, a heavy foreign presence, and Gonzaga certainly was a pioneer in that area in, in the WCC and St. Mary's particularly with Australians has followed that lead. 
and they tend to get a lot of foreign-born players as well. So Portland very definitely has the feel of a, a typical WCC team. They, those schools tend to be very active in recruiting foreign-born players, and Portland's no exception. Well, this game, fortunately, we get a day's rest, which will help a lot for our depleted team and all the minutes we've logged. And, and, and for the fans, we're not going to have to stay up past midnight <laughs> on the East Coast, folks. Eastern time zone, I should say. It was even a late game for me out um, here in the West is, Coast, so it was tough. Do we have a... Let me, it's let a me fourth, I think it's this, a 5.30 uh, game time. Uh, 5.30 Eastern. Eastern. They finally... There was, some, there was some confusion on that, whether it was going to be 3 o'clock or 5.30. Okay, so 5.30 Eastern time on Sunday. So this is a game we hopefully survive again in this tournament. And, you know, looking at it right now from it, we're four and two worst case scenario after the Notre Dame game, that eight game sort of onslaught could come out four and four would be the worst case scenario, which assuming we had a full complement of players, people thought that would have been pretty good. So, you know, all, all things considered an opportunity to have a really good start to the season. Yeah. I think that, you know, <laughs> once you get into a season though, your expectations change. Yes, of course. And Michigan State showed enough that I think now people's expectations would be um, disappointed a bit by four and four. I I don't think it's that big a deal because we, given the situation they're in, you just look, could they lose to Portland? Yeah, sure. But, you know, the, these are, you just got to play these games, get through them. Look, Notre Dame lost the other night at home to St. Bonaventure. So, and I've seen Notre Dame play a little bit and, uh, I'm not knocked out. That's a, that's a game that even on the road, very, very winnable. Even if you're still shorthanded, I'm hopeful that, and actually we should talk about this because we haven't touched on it. You know, Izzo did speak yesterday to Jaden Akins and they were asking him, could we expect to see him at all in this tournament? And he said, doubtful. The main reason he said doubtful is he's putting the same standard into place that he did at the outset of the season with Jade, which is he's got to practice for two straight days without pain for them to let him play. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't hear that he practiced yesterday for MSU. I'm assuming he did not, which would mean he doesn't play tomorrow. But what you can hope for is that they can get him ready for Notre Dame, which I think would be a big deal. So that's what I'm looking for and want to see. I, yeah, I mean, what's the point at, of playing him? At this him? point, even if he did practice yesterday, I think I'd probably hold him out of this Portland game. You know, get get him, yeah, get him straight for Notre Dame and then for the two Big Ten games that come after that, Penn State and Northwestern. You know, those right. are really going to matter. And you're, you're going to have to get through all of those for sure without Malik Hall. You know, we, we know that. You know, the, the best case scenario for Malik is that you know, maybe you get him back. I don't know. Mid December would be the best case, like 15th, 16th, something like that. And, and so ideally that means you are fully up and running and everybody's back in the swing of things by the time, um, big time play kicks back in, in the beginning of January, that's what you're targeting if you're MSU. So yeah, these are games you want to win, but there are other considerations that are coming into play. And yet on the other hand, you know, I, I know fan expectation has shifted and now, you know, people are thinking, well, this can be a pretty good team and they want to get as many wins as they can. I, from my perspective, if you assume that the teams that MSU has played and especially the ones that they've beaten are going to find themselves and be NCAA tournament teams, I think whatever Kentucky and Gonzaga, and Villanova yeah. and Oregon struggles are. I would still bet on all of them being tournament teams come March. That might change, but for right now, that's where I would be at. And, and so you can say with some real validity behind it, sure. Michigan state's already done the work they needed to do heading, you know, this part of the schedule. I mean, they really have, you know, and so the, what happens on Sunday, what happens in South Bend, I would say the big 10 games are a little different because you want to, you want to compete in the league. And so those matter a little bit more to me, but these next two games, look, I hope they win them. I think they got a great chance to do so even with the injuries, but it's regardless, it's not the end of the world. 
So that's that's my perspective. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, we'll say those games will be gravy. So right, uh, exactly, exactly. Why don't exactly. we? Uh, why don't we wrap up there? Just remind you, if you've not yet subscribed to the show, be sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast player. Please leave a written review and rate us five stars. We appreciate it. It helps other Spartan fans find our show and visit our website at thefinalfours.theschedule.com or if you're lazy, tffinots.com. There you can join our Spartan community for free. Until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.